My name is Jenna and I'm here to help you do all the hard things. I'm a licensed professional counselor with nearly 10 years of clinical and research experience working with people who have some of the most debilitating OCD and anxiety in the world. I'm also a mom, a personal trainer, and a lover of modern spirituality. My goal is to bring you all the research, guidance, and encouragement you need to help you remember and know how strong you truly are. Now let's get to it. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. All right, guys, we are here with Not Mother Goose. Um, her name is Sierra and she's on Instagram at Not Mother Goose. I'll give her a chance to kind of talk about her platform and all of that, but we're going to talk about motherhood and adjusting to motherhood and the difficulties yay. that kind of kind of come along with postpartum anxiety, postpartum depression. Um, obviously, topics that I feel really personally and professionally invested in. Um, and I'm not usually one to apologize about like little nuances in the background or anything like that. I'm a mom, so obviously it's going to happen. Um, we're rolling the dice right here. My son is out <laughs> watching TV right now. So we're just going to kind of roll the dice and see what happens. <laughs> um, but Sierra, thank you so much for doing this. I know you specifically reached out to me, so I know that you feel strongly about this. I know that you're feeling called to help other moms who are struggling. So thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So let's start first by just giving the audience a little bit of context and background for yourself. Um, I know you have you talked to me personally about just how you know having the one baby who I believe just turned mm -hmm. one. So talk to us about yes. the background and context of your family. Yeah. So I have a little crazy one-year-old who's climbing the stairs and <laughs> creating so much more hypervigilance. I feel like in my life. Um, so yeah, I, I live in a small town, a little community in Ontario in Canada. And um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what else, but um, I just had a really difficult time, especially in pregnancy um, and then in postpartum as well. So I just wanted to get out there and share my story and make others feel like they're not alone. And this is a very common thing that we, that we go through. Yeah, I love the word that you used, common. I feel like mm. before I knew different, I used to intermingle the terms common and normal, which is, this mm. is not normal, right? Like it's not normal. It's right. not something that you need to just suck up and deal with referring to postpartum depression or postpartum anxiety. But I'm, I like you believe that this is way more normal or way more mm. common than we would ever have read about or heard about from professionals. Um, so I'm so glad that I have people who are willing to share their stories and come on the platform and kind of get that message out. So mm -hmm. you mentioned kind of having a difficult pregnancy and just transitioning into that. So why don't you start first with your pregnancy and then maybe talking to us um, about your labor and just take us through the whole story. Mm -hmm. Well, I would start by saying that it was a very unexpected pregnancy. It was not planned. Um, I just kind of been dating my boyfriend for not that long <laughs> and fell pregnant. So of course I was um, very thrown into the mix. I felt like um, I was not mentally prepared, emotionally prepared to have a baby, um, but my boyfriend really wanted to. So I was just like, you know what? We're just gonna go for it. We're gonna see what happens. And that, that started like a big snowball, I feel like, of emotions and really difficult months. So um, I was very secret about my pregnancy. I told like close families and friends, but I didn't really reach out to anybody else who was pregnant. I really wanted to kind of hide away. I isolated myself a lot because I, I kept feeling like, you know, a lot of people would love to be pregnant at this moment and I'm struggling with it and I didn't want to open up about that to anybody I thought I was being ungrateful and um 
just not like this should be the happiest time of my life, but I wasn't enjoying it at all. So, you know, in hindsight, I wish I reached out because a lot of women feel that way. And it's not really talked about, especially in pregnancy, because it's supposed to be like a blissful, happy time. But like, I didn't want a baby shower. I didn't really want any attention. And when you're pregnant, it's impossible because you look pregnant and people want to ask you about it and talk about it and share their happy stories. But I just didn't feel that way. I had a really hard time getting my head around it. So um, a lot of the symptoms I was dealing with um, in prenatal depression was uh, the sleep disturbances. I could not sleep at all. I um, was very anxious, uh, a lot of ruminating thoughts, worrying about what's going to happen when the baby's actually here. How am I going to do this? How am I going to be a mom? Um, low energy, low self-esteem. Uh, like I said, isolating myself a lot and then loss of any pleasurable activities. And I think what's so difficult about having these symptoms in pregnancy is that um, they're so easily confused for other symptoms. Like, of course you have low self-esteem, your body's changing, your hormones are changing. Like, of course you can't sleep, you're uncomfortable and, um, you know, have a lot going on. So I just, I, I downplayed all those symptoms because I just thought, well, I'm pregnant. I'm like, my hormones are changing. It's just, it's just how it is. Um, and then it like increasingly got a lot worse, a lot, lot worse. And like rapidly, I found, um, started having a lot of thoughts that just, I knew, I was like, I knew that this is not um, normal per se. So finally, I reached out for help when I was um, eight months pregnant. Uh, it, and it's the funniest thing because I didn't, um, I of course I knew about depression and all the signs and symptoms of it but I just didn't really ask for help until I knew I was like in dire need um so yeah I know that was a lot I just feel like I just spewed a lot of information well you brought up so much I was taking notes here like the fact oh, sorry no. <laughs> cut me off at any time <laughs> no, no, no. It, it's incredible and it's what moms need to hear and it's it's new thought processes that I've never like really thought of things that way before mm -hmm. but it's so true um the one that I'm thinking of in particular that you mentioned where I'm like oh my gosh that's so true was how all of these depression symptoms or anxiety symptoms could be so easily and are so easily confused for other things going on with your body right like of mm -hmm. course you can't sleep you're uncomfortable um and that <laughs> I mean, I, I remember kind of feeling that way. Like, no, it's not just me being, you know, having messed up hormones. Like there's something mm -hmm. else that's wrong. Um, and it, I don't, maybe that's kind of the initiation of that snowball. Like it's just mm -hmm. the way that it is. And it kind of makes us feel bad for seeking out help because maybe this is just your body or your pregnancy or whatever. And yeah, it's, mm -hmm. it's such a good point. Um, and then yeah, they say that, sorry. Go ahead. Um, they say they say that um, prenatal depression is the biggest underdiagnosed pregnancy complication that there is for just those reasons. You know, people, um, the signs and symptoms are confused. And they also say that anybody who does develop prenatal, sorry, postpartum depression probably had 50% of them probably had an onset of it during their pregnancy. But of course, it's kind of under the radar. Yeah, that's wild and such mm -hmm. good information for moms to know because again, it's like that's the beginning of us getting brushed under the rug, right? That's <laughs> us, like, okay, yeah. maybe I should just keep this to myself because maybe it's not that big of a deal. Mm -hmm. um, which obviously, you know, as the mom of a one year old, you know, that doesn't really ever go away. <laughs> like, no. after, even after you have the baby, that doesn't really ever go away. Um, and then yeah. another point that you're bringing up that I love to talk about, but also kind of hate to talk about <laughs> is this idea of like, well, you should be grateful. You should be grateful. I, mm. I mean, that was the first year of my life having a baby. Like, why do I feel, how can I be mourning my life before and love him so much? Like, right. I should be enjoying this more. Everyone else is enjoying this more. Everyone else. I know mm -hmm. I knew so many friends and family members who struggled to get pregnant. And here I was with a healthy baby and he, mm -hmm. I have a supportive partner. I have a home. I have everything that I needed. And it's like, why was I still struggling so much? I should be grateful. I should be grateful. And mm -hmm. then it turns you into this tailspin of like, 
what is it? What's wrong with me? Like I'm, I'm a whole person. Well, that's the cycle of shame, right? And guilt. And it just kind of spirals downward if you can't interject and think, okay, like my experience is not other people's experience. And it's hard though. It's hard. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's so much more difficult when you're, when you're having a child, right? Like you can, Mm. you can, you can't logic your way out of these things. You can't talk your way out of these things. It's, it's, these feelings run so deep and everything just feels so important because you feel so responsible Mm -hmm. for them. And we live in a society where everything is great. Pregnancy is love. Mm -hmm. Everyone feels glowing. Isn't this just the most (laughs) loving, happy time of your life? And it's like, no, it's not. There are people that are happy and there are parts of it that really, really suck too. Mm -hmm. So you talked to us about the prenatal stage and how that was really difficult for you. Why don't you talk to us about your labor, if you had any difficulties with that, if if all of your um, kind of emotions previously interfered with your labor at all, and then that immediate kind of transition and adjustment into motherhood, especially any postpartum issues that you experienced. Mm -hmm. So I have to say my labor was pretty straightforward. I really didn't have any medical um, problems or difficulties. It was more so like the emotional toll that it it took on me. So I was um, exactly 40 weeks and they had been talking about inducing me for a while just because the baby seemed really tiny and wasn't, they were wondering kind of what the placenta is doing. Is it kind of dying off or is it not working properly? So talked about inducing me for a while and that was anxiety provoking because I felt like um I'm not ready I need more time any time any day that went by that I didn't my water didn't break I was like okay like I have another day um because I just the anticipation of becoming a mom was overwhelming I was of course worried about being in pain in the labor part um but I was more so very overwhelmed with okay what do I do afterwards (laughs) what do I do when I bring this baby home Um, I love that you're talking about that experience mm -hmm. because I think what we think of so often and what we hear so often is like, I'm so eager for them to get here. I'm so eager for my baby. Like, Mm -hmm. I just can't wait. I just can't wait. And it's like, well, what about there? I want other moms to have that solidarity and have that validation if they didn't Mm -hmm. have that experience. So I'm so happy that you're willing to be honest. Like, no, I was relieved. Like one more day, (laughs) I had one more day where this wasn't going to happen. Right. Yeah. So when I finally, when time did finally come, I had already been at the hospital for tests and they checked the heartbeat and they kind of had decided, okay, this is as long as we're going to wait. I had to do a lot of advocating for myself to not be induced because I just, like, they were kind of borderline whether or not this was, that the baby was fine. They were like, he is fine for now, but like, you know, we want to be as safe as possible. So that originally they were like, you want to just get them out this weekend? I was like, no, <laughs> no, I don't. I, like, I'm happy to wait. So then when it finally became time to, to be induced, my water broke naturally. I'd been in the hospital for like quite a few hours and um, it broke naturally. So I was kind of like, okay, here we go. Um, and yeah, like I said, labor went kind of, it went off kind of well, besides my epidural not working, which... <laughs> Mine didn't uh, either. That's crazy. Really? Yeah. And I, yeah, it went all the way, it worked all the way up until I think my kneecaps. Oh uh, my gosh. Yeah. And there was like this panic mode where I finally, yes. because I, I wasn't as afraid of the labor because I kind of was relying on the epidural and I didn't mm-hmm. even know that was a thing. I didn't even know mm-hmm. it was a thing that your epidural could not work. And then I remember once it was identified that like there was nothing else that could be done or nothing else mm-hmm. that could be tried. And I knew, and I, I can't even handle a bee sting. Like I, <laughs> I'm awful when it comes to pain, especially mm-hmm. unexpected pain. So yeah. yeah, I think that's really important for moms to know too. Not that I want to scare them or anything, but I, no. I want them to have the panic experience that I had where I was literally, a, I was terrified. I, I was just absolutely right. terrified. And did you have that little button that you could like administer more of it yep. whenever a certain time period? Yeah. I was pressing that like, <laughs> come on. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it was, yeah. I was, I was in such a panic. I ended up delivering on oxygen because I was mm. panicking so much. I couldn't breathe. Yeah.
If you or someone you know is struggling with anxiety or obsessive compulsive disorder, check out NoCD. NoCD is a mobile platform where you can have effective, affordable, and convenient OCD therapy. You'll get to do live video sessions with a licensed therapist who specializes in exposure and response prevention, which is the gold standard treatment for OCD. And depending on what state you live in, you may even be able to request to work with me. They take insurance, it's available in all 50 states, and you can even get support in between your sessions from your therapist and from a community of other individuals who also have OCD. To know more, go to www.treatmyocd.com and schedule a free 15-minute phone call. Be sure to tell them that Jenna Overbaugh sent you. It's awful. (laughs) I don't know what else to say about it. So then you got the, it was like a small gift, right? Quote unquote, that Mm. like you didn't have any medical complications. Yes. Um, You know, you were experiencing all these kind of emotional complications, of course, and all these kind Mm. of mental difficulties, but you know, there were no medical complications. So talk to me about your experience, like, like that first, um, like when you held your baby for the first time, I know for me, I, I, Mm. I, my reaction was everyone just get away from me. Everyone just get away Mm -hmm. from me like stop touching me stop touching me um Mm -hmm. I was just so touched out yeah that was I think the beginning of me like oh my god there's something wrong with me like I Mm. thought that this was supposed to be a happy moment I thought I was supposed to like want to hold my baby Mm -hmm. I thought I was supposed to fall in love with him at first sight and all I remember is just being like get away like everyone just get away from me everyone just get away from me Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it was, it's very, a very emotional experience I had. So because I was in pregnancy, finally diagnosed with, um, a major mood disorder, um, I had been warned a lot. Sorry. I feel like I'm going to get emotional. It's okay. <laughs> I talk they, about those very often too, right? Like these are, <laughs> yeah. I get emotional and I'm not even the one, I mean, I share a little bit of my stuff, but it's, we've been through a lot. <laughs> Like it's, yes. and there's not only do you, like, you're kind of reliving some of the emotional and mental trauma I, I do every time I do one of these interviews, like you pull a little bit more of that up. It's like scratching at a wound a little yes. bit. Um, and that's why I'm so mm-hmm. appreciative of you guys doing this and anyone who offers this other story. I know it's not easy, but it is for the greater good. And I know, you know, this, so right. that solidarity to other moms, because I just, I know if I would have had these resources when I was going through it, I wouldn't have had that compounding feeling of guilt and shame and like, what the heck is exactly. So I appreciate you mm-hmm. so much and I get emotional too. Thanks. <laughs> okay, good. Um, but yeah, because I had struggled with depression so badly, I was warned very thoroughly, like you probably won't feel an attachment to your baby when you hold it. So I kind of was preparing for that. Um, but I was shocked to find that I was, um, I did have that attachment straight away. I know a lot of people don't, um, I, I guess straight away when I say I felt it straight away, it was when they put him on me because when they first took him out, I couldn't look at him. My eyes were shut the whole time. And I just felt like then it will become real. Like if I see him and see this little baby that we've been talking about for nine months, it, this will be real. This will be my life. And I'm not ready for that. so when they did put him on me, I did like, you know, give him a hug and a kiss. And I was really happy in that moment. Um, I also had a lot of support because here, well, my experience was that because I was diagnosed with um, prenatal depression, the, the whole hospital staff knew that it was in my file. I had two extra days at the hospital that I could stay and get breastfeeding help. And um, a social worker would check in. I had like everyone was well aware of my situation. So, um, and I had a midwife team as well, and they were really great at doing the holistic care of mommy and baby, which was awesome. That's absolutely incredible. So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I was very thankful to have that experience. I, was, <laughs> I love Canada. Yeah, as, I mean, I like Canada for a long <laughs> Yeah, that's awesome. Yes, as as much as I was very embarrassed about suffering with depression, I really didn't, I didn't tell any of my own family and friends. Um, so I had the hospital staff knowing made me uneasy, but I knew I wouldn't have got the support if I hadn't disclosed that. Right. So 
Um, so yeah, the next couple days in the hospital, we really limited visitors. I only had my parents come, um, to see the baby because I was so overwhelmed. I was so overwhelmed and, um, like self-conscious almost. I thought, oh, people are going to see me with my new baby. They're going to criticize how I'm holding him or how I'm changing him. Or even though those are not the realities, I have very supportive people in my life who love me very much. It's just your brain kind of tricks you into those, thinking those things. Yeah, I remember the same. Um, And this is something like, once I was kind of out of the trenches myself, I was like, why did I do that to myself? I also did not have Mm -hmm. any visitors um, other than my parents. And everyone kept asking me like, are you sure you don't want me to come and visit? And my mom would always say like, are you sure no one from work wants to come and visit? I'm like, I Mm -hmm. don't want anyone here. It's not that they don't want to, I feel really supported, but I don't want anyone here. I'm so overstimulated. I'm so Mm -hmm. like overly (laughs) like over the situation I just as less as least amount of stimulation as possible and yeah I I remember Mm -hmm. feeling that way too just like really self-conscious and I I was looking back at videotapes the other day um and I'm normally a very confident person a pretty outgoing person like I'll give anything a try Mm -hmm. once and very sure of myself I was uh, videotaping my son's first bath in the hospital Mm -hmm. and the nurse was like do you want to do it and I, I see myself in the corner and I'm like, no, no, I'm just going to watch mm-hmm. you. And it's like, I, yeah. this doesn't even seem like me. Like what was, yeah. what was going on in my brain? I feel so sad for that woman. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so yeah it's like a feeling of inadequacy yeah. almost when, even when, like I've worked with kids my whole life and I am very experienced with newborns, especially, but um yeah, you just are, you just, it's not, you feel like a shell of yourself sometimes. Yeah. A hundred percent. And then you're like, you feel crazy. You feel like you're kind of going mm-hmm. crazy. Like you don't know yourself anymore. Um, right. so you, yeah, we talked about this kind of an initial transition into motherhood. There's mm-hmm. obviously such an identity shift that goes on. And yes. I remember that being very difficult. Just like I'm doing all these things that don't seem like me. I'm suddenly very mm-hmm. anxious. I'm an anxiety therapist. Like I, mm-hmm. what the heck? Like, I just felt like an imposter <laughs> is probably the yes. way to describe it. Like I felt like such an imposter, mm-hmm. like going out in public was hard for me because I felt like after being alone with a baby for three weeks at a time by myself, it's like, I don't even know mm-hmm. how to socialize anymore. I'm anxious yeah. in social situations. Like, mm-hmm. like everything just felt so new. Um, yes. So I'm with you on a lot of that. <laughs> You mm-hmm. mentioned um, getting some breastfeeding support while you were there. And I know yes. breastfeeding is so impactful, it seems, like when it comes mm-hmm. to some postpartum difficulties. So talk to me about how breastfeeding kind of impacted your mental health during this phase. Mm-hmm. So again, I feel really lucky to say I didn't really have, um, of course, it was a learning curve. You know, I've never breastfed. My baby has never <laughs> breastfed off me so we both kind of learned together it went pretty smoothly I have to say um it was just the toll that it took on my mental health of being the exclusive one to feed the baby I think it was so many factors it was the sleep deprivation because I mean he was up every three hours um the whole time I was and I breastfed till he was 10 months so to not have a full night's sleep or longer than three hours was debilitating to say the least um so that obviously everyone pretty much knows sleep plays a huge factor in um just anybody's mood in general you know how crappy you feel after not a good night of sleep so it was that it was you know I felt so much pressure to breastfeed I felt like um from society more so and than people close to me but just like this is what I meant to do. I have to do it. It's supposed to be natural. Um, just kind of suck it up. And uh, that was hard to come to terms with. Uh, I don't know. It's And then too, like I struggled with my partner a lot because like his kind of view was like, well, what am I supposed to do? Like while you're breastfeeding, while you're getting up at night, like what's my role? Where do I fit in? And I didn't know. I'd never been through this before. All I knew is that I needed more help. Um, and more support. Uh, Because like you said, you know, I was at home all day, 
every day with a baby that just needed me constantly. He wouldn't let me put him down. He just like would go through those cluster feedings of um, just needing to be fed, even though I knew he wasn't hungry. And that was very difficult for me. I felt like way more isolated. I felt like, you know, some nights I would give him a bottle of formula just to kind of make him sleep longer than usual. Uh, And then I would be guilt. I would feel about it unnecessarily I don't know why it was just so much for me mm-hmm. yeah I, I felt like if I had enough breastfed and I um, bottle fed or even did both kind of um, it would have been a totally different story yeah I, I often wonder the same for myself and like you I was lucky quote unquote that nothing you know I was able to breastfeed really well like right away mm-hmm. we kind of figured it out together. And that was something that just worked really seamlessly for me and for my son. But yeah, mm-hmm. like the con being constantly needed, like not being able to go to the grocery store unless you were on a time frame, right. not being able to go to the grocery mm-hmm. store unless you pumped first. Um, mm-hmm. And then I, like not being able to go out and have a break because I'm, ha- I'm having to lug all these breastfeeding pumps with me and parts yep. and extra milk bags and Mm -hmm. just awful 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 and the mental load of being needed all the time being the only person especially when you're and if you're exclusively breastfeeding like what is the dad's you know the I remember my husband he's so supportive and he's the first person to jump in and like want to take something off of my plate and help me Mm -hmm. I remember all he could really do was like bring me food and bring me water yeah Yeah. was standing in the corner most days like I I don't know what you want me to do and I think that Mm interfered with his ability to kind of bond with the baby at first like definitely um I mean I I don't know how common this is just for paternal figures in general but I don't feel like my because of that my my husband didn't really get to bond with our baby until he was a little bit older and like able to Mm -hmm. play and reciprocate and talk and all that stuff because I my husband said that he felt like our baby was just kind of like this zombie who was just always Mm -hmm. me and it's like that's kind of how it was yeah. yeah yeah for sure you have that that guilt that gratitude guilt too of like so mm. I know so many women who would die to breastfeed I know so many yeah. women who can't do it and it's coming so naturally to me and I freaking hate it <laughs> like, <laughs> I yeah I don't want to quit because then what if you miss it and then are right. you ungrateful and are you going to regret it and like you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't yeah, I um it's so funny because I was cleaning out a drawer or something and I found this book I was given about newborns um, when I was pregnant and I skipped to the part about breastfeeding and all of the information there was very one-sided. It was like your baby can only be healthy if you breastfeed. Like it reduces SIDS, it reduces this. It it's so much better for your baby and I just felt like I didn't have another option. I felt like this is going well for me, so I need to just go through with it even though the effect that it had on me was catastrophic. Right. I think. And and this is the beginning of the message that moms get, which is, you know, all through that Mm -hmm. nine month period, it's like, how are you doing mama? How are you doing? How are you feeling? How are you feeling? And then Mm -hmm. as soon as the baby is born, it's all about the baby. And yes, if you're lucky at six weeks, at least in the United States, you get a very brief, like very face valid screen that basically Mm -hmm. asks if you're going crazy which no one wants to be honest about. And then basically asks like how you're feeling very, very briefly at a six week checkup. So I feel Mm -hmm. like that's the beginning of like whatever mom needs to put herself on the cross and burn herself to light Mm -hmm. herself on fire to keep the baby warm. Like no matter what detriment it causes to the mom or to the, to the mom's relationship to the baby, like just do whatever's Mm -hmm. for the baby. And that's, I hate that. Yes, <laughs> me too. And one one example I always think about um, of me getting even jealous of the attention that my baby got is anytime I would get in the car with a friend, like I would be driving, the baby's in the car seat, and whoever it was, I swear this happens all the time, would get in the back with the baby. My friend would sit with the baby. And I thought, well, what about me? Like, I need adult attention. I need some interaction. Like, how about how I'm doing? Like, yeah. the baby will be fine back there. <laughs> he will. Like, but what about me? Yeah, right. that's so real. I remember mm-hmm. all the all the friends and family members who came to visit. I don't remember anything that they brought my baby. Like I didn't mm-hmm. need one more stuffed animal. I didn't <laughs> need one more toy. I didn't need one more pacifier. 
but I remember the people who brought me food. I remember the people who brought me like spa items, like face, Mm -hmm. like that was like, oh my gosh, like above and beyond, like, thank you so much for thinking of me. But like, I felt like I've mattered again. Like I felt Mm -hmm. like, wow, I'm not like you see me. Yeah. Like I'm not this person who's just attached to this baby. Like, (laughs) wow, like, I guess I'm not crazy that I just want a little bit of attention too. (laughs) Like, it's hard to go from like, you're this goddess at the hospital Mm -hmm. and everyone is just doting (laughs) for you and and asks you how you're doing to Mm -hmm. like, nope, your life is over now. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So So if I'm doing the math correctly, right. And you said that you had to parent and isolate with a newborn during COVID. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what had happened was we, um, we traveled at the beginning of March for my birthday. We went uh, down to Miami and that was kind of like COVID was kind of, um, gaining steam, I guess. And I was really anxious about it. I'm like, what are we doing? Why are we traveling? I called our public health nurse and she was like, Oh my God, Sierra, you're overreacting. Go have a good time on the beach and you you'll come home and nothing will change. Well, Poor, poor lady. She was so wrong. We came back and then like, you know, a couple of days later, all the school shut down. Like we had been traveling. So we were self-isolating. And of course I thought, you know, this will last 14 days and then, well, you know, the world will be back to normal. And here we are. Uh, what is it? Nine months later, eight months later, that we're still kind of on lockdown. So it was very difficult because my partner was still working Um, while I was at home with a baby and um, all the supports that I had, you know, when I was pregnant, they kept saying like, you know, you're going to struggle. You need a lot of support, like start asking people who can come over when and help you do the dishes and the laundry and the baby stuff. Um, So all that support that I had gathered was now gone. Like my parents weren't coming over, in-laws weren't coming over, family couldn't come and help. So it felt like um, very overwhelming it's a lot for one person to care for a baby for nine hours a day on no sleep um and we really struggled with that um and not having any I have one other friend who had a baby a month before me so she was a great support but I didn't really have anybody else who was going through the exact same thing at the at the same time so that like mom could come camaraderie (laughs) that's the word um I I didn't feel that way I couldn't go to mom support groups I couldn't um I couldn't have those experiences I felt like I was kind of robbed of my mat leave a little bit because all the swimming lessons I had planned and this and that kind of got taken out from under me unexpectedly so it was very a very hard pill to swallow yeah that time was so it's so hard in general I think um yeah, I remember, I remember getting emails on my maternity leave from coworkers who were like, yeah, if you're bored on maternity leave, just remember it's okay, like stock up on books or I'm like, mm-hmm. there was never a point where I wasn't, I was bored. Like I was, <laughs> I was ridden with anxiety and panic mm-hmm. and depression the entire time. Like, exactly. Uh, I just could not relate to that at all. And so you, any, I, my heart goes out to anyone. I mean, we're all in it together in some regard, but having a newborn during COVID, especially like that, that that's your introduction into the motherhood experience and that that's your baby introduction as to, you know, the first year of his life where you can't go to mom support groups where you can't go. I mean, I can't even tell you the, the little things that saved me during maternity leave, which was like taking him to a coffee shop or, um, Mm -hmm. meeting up with a friend for a walk around the lake. Like you can't do that. And I feel so my heart just goes out for everybody who has had to especially endure, the initial transition into motherhood during this yeah. time because it is immensely difficult in general and they're mm-hmm. there and you are getting it like 10 times what it's mm-hmm. um especially when your partner still has to work I mean that's yes really really difficult right and I think for me I struggled a lot because I I wouldn't consider him an essential worker like he's not a doctor he's he's uh he didn't for you (laughs) right exactly so I kept thinking he would get sent home from work and I was like that would be great I would have help so I just like every week I was like so any word yet he's like nope we're still working and I was like uh like how do I 
how do I do this? Like, how do I make this any less difficult when we've never collectively ever been through anything like this before? Yeah. It's the, the strain on moms is unreal. And mm -hmm. yeah, their moms need so much help right now. I, the yeah. effects of this are going to be long lasting. And like you mm -hmm. said, I mean, we're, we're missing out on a lot of things. I mean, I, like Halloween was kind of, mm. I mean, it's, it's hard for any mom, regardless of what stage you're in. The firsts are horrific to have them be mm. and so compromised by COVID. My son now yeah. is going to be about three. So I feel like he's just now starting to enjoy things like holidays and Halloween mm -hmm. would be really fun for him to do things now, like swim lessons, but like that, I can't, yeah. I, that's not even possible. Um, so yeah, there's just so much going on and it's, it's just, a, and who knows when it's going to be any better. Mm -hmm. right? Um, and from what I'm aware of, it's a little bit more strict in Canada than it is in the United States. Yes. So you're probably just very strapped down as far as what you can do, especially with a one-year-old mm -hmm. where they're gaining momentum and energy yeah. and they're moving all <laughs> over the place. It's difficult to kind of contain them and entertain them. Yeah. And we have like a right now the other day we got over 10 centimeters of snow so the the winter weather really plays um yeah. plays a part in it not being able to get out there and used to be able to like mall walk or walk right. around inside somewhere but that's not happening right now so yeah it's just a rough rough time <laughs> it is so luckily yeah. it seems like and you've told me that you've been getting treatment that you've been getting therapy mm -hmm. that you've been doing what you can to kind of take care of yourself so talk us through what it was like to actually have to advocate for that kind of what your process was and again you're um, in Canada so it might be a little bit different <laughs> <laughs> I could do that I know podcast about yeah. like the awfulness that is the United States maternal mental mm -hmm. health system um, yeah just like what the process was like for you and you know advocating for yourself and especially if you have any advice for other moms um mm -hmm. like how to set themselves up for success because especially I think what you had mentioned like you waited until you were like eight months pregnant. Yep. You had even said yourself like that you kind of waited until it was crisis mode. Like you knew mm -hmm. on paper that it, it was depression and you knew on paper that something wasn't right, but there was just something in you like there is for lots of us. There was, it mm -hmm. was for me too. And I'm a therapist. I waited until crisis mode to get help too. Mm -hmm. Talk to us about that whole process and what that was like for you and any advice that you have for moms related to that process. Yeah. So, um, when I, um, would go and visit my midwife obviously during one of those appointments they did the um, embryo uh, depression scale symptoms um, with me so that just goes through you know do you feel this way do you feel that way um, so during that meeting it was pretty early on that they did that and they only screen once usually for depression and pregnancy and and then at that six-week postpartum checkup uh, here at least that's usually what happens so that, I, that was fairly early on in my pregnancy so I didn't really have any symptoms uh, that were that bad for depression. But I remembered my midwife saying to me like, okay, like sounds like things are okay, but if they do get heavy, there is this women's clinic that's specifically for women going through hormonal changes um, that has like a whole psychiatry team and like they're awesome. So if the need comes up, that's what we'll do. And I was like, okay, no problem. So then when I was in that crisis mode, I something just clicked and I thought, oh yes, there's that clinic that she told me about so it was actually a self-referral process. So I didn't need a doctor to call and refer me, thankfully. I could just call. But um, it was really hard to get through. Like the, I kept getting voicemail after voicemail. I couldn't speak to anybody. And I felt so helpless. I felt like I, know, I knew it wasn't like a crisis hotline. But I thought I need to know that I have an appointment or something. I need something secure so that I feel like I can get to the next week, right? So I finally talked to somebody. I think they could tell like the desperation in my voice because they at first said, oh, you know, the wait list is pretty long, like it's six months long. And I thought, well, I'm going to have a baby by then. Like, I can't wait that long. So I think they rushed me up the list because it was the next day they called for an appointment. So of course, um, medication was prescribed. That was the first thing, um, which I really didn't want to go on medication. I hear that from a lot of people uh, struggling is this kind of stigma with medication. But at that point, I knew that it was just way too far for me to deal with by myself. Um, so I kind of started on medication um, and it took, I would say, probably 
almost a year to get the right combination of medication because um, I was on something for depression, but then also for sleep and anxiety because that was one of my biggest issues. I could never sleep because I was so anxious. Um, so, so yeah, thankfully I did like now I've just kind of that dark cloud has lifted a bit and I do feel way more different like myself, but I was surprised. I didn't know it would take close to a year to get kind of the right dosage down and to start to feel normal again, because I, I really wanted to give up on medication because I just kept feeling like, Oh, we've changed my dose again this month and I'm still not feeling better. I'm still really struggling. And I think all that was, um, even more intense because of COVID and because of exclusively breastfeeding. Um, I, I just felt like all the chips were stacked against me and I just thought, how could it take this long to start feeling better? So um, anyways, so I did the medication and then I also did a cognitive behavioral therapy group um, sessions. Uh, so that was great. And then I had a, like an individual therapist as well. I had a couples therapist. Like I really had the whole team um, working together to try to get me on track because it's, it's a hard road. And I think I had that assumption that, okay, I've started medication. Like it's, I'm going to feel better like that. And I'll just, this won't be as hard anymore. It'll just be fixed. But um, it wasn't, it was a very, very long road. Um, so I would say my advice um, to anybody is I really, at that, those moments, I really needed an advocate that wasn't myself. Because when you are so low, it's hard for you to be persistent. It's hard for you to tell people, no, I need the help. I need it right now. So I really wish that I had asked um, my best friend to come to appointments with me um make appointments for me just be really firm I was gonna say my partner but he wouldn't have been <laughs> you've got to pick the right advocate too because he's just such he's too nice of a guy that he would just take no for an answer I need somebody like strong who's not going to give up who's going to be there to help me and I don't think there's anything wrong with having your support person there with you um because it's it's a lot of weight on your shoulders when you're trying to get help for yourself yeah, absolutely. That is definitely really important. And it's just unfortunate that women have to advocate so much for themselves because like you said, you know, if you're the temperament or the kind of person where you just kind of back down, um, or if you just like trust medical professionals, right. And you mm -hmm. just, that's it. I, I mean, even in my experience, when I finally went and got help and it was like my first kind of beckon for help. Um, mm -hmm. I went to my OBGYN and she's normally really wonderful. And she was, she came to me as a referral from a friend who I really trusted. So I had high hopes for her ability to kind of reach out and help me. Mm -hmm. Um, but I just mentioned that I was really struggling mentally and I was not in a place I did not feel well. And she, I'll never forget. She asked me if my son took a pacifier. And at that point he did, I mean, he still had one kind of throughout the day and, mm -hmm. um, at nighttime. And she said, well, just give him the pacifier when he's really upset. Like, I think <laughs> her, she said something about how, like, she thinks moms are so like worried about trying to get rid of the pacifier. And I'm like, my concern has nothing to do with the pacifier. Right. I literally like want to hurt myself. Like I literally, yep to drive off of a bridge. <laughs> mm -hmm. And I had to be very clear about like, this is how serious this is. I literally mm -hmm. cry. I cry five days a week in the shower. Like, mm -hmm. I, like I had to be very, very clear and stern about how serious mm -hmm. this was. And one, that's my professional background. So like I have right. a professional background. I am well-versed in these symptoms. I'm a therapist. I've been in the field for 10, 12 years. So I knew that something was up. A lot of women don't like, I'm so fearful for those women who are like, okay, fine. Like then fine. Like maybe I am just being a little mm -hmm. bit sensitive and two, like, I'm a pretty, like, if I have something that I need to get off my chest, I will continue to go and go and go. Like I, if mm -hmm. I want something, I'm not taking no for an answer. And I wanted help at that point. Like I was not going to take no for an answer. And so mm -hmm. two, like, I am so fearful of women who like one, don't have the education or the knowledge of these symptoms. Mm -hmm. And two are a little bit more, you know, apt to kind of back down or not advocate for themselves or self-doubt. Mm -hmm. That's a dangerous, dangerous slope for these women. Definitely. 
For all my bloggers, entrepreneurs, social media junkies, and general creative hearts out there, you need to be using Flowdesk as your email marketing platform. With its user-friendly platform, you'll no longer spend hours trying to figure out how to put your emails together, let alone how to manage your subscribers. Their beautiful templates are going to leave a beautiful, lasting impression with your subscribers, and it's super customizable, so you can add your own logo and anything else you need to help connect with your audience. It's also cost-effective and offers a really intuitive and easy-to-navigate user experience. If you want a free trial and then 50% off of your actual subscription, head to my website at www.jennaoverbaugh.com and click on Deals, or enter Jenna Overbaugh at flowdesk.com. Design emails people actually love to get in their inbox. Plus, they offer unlimited everything, unlimited subscribers, and access to all of their awesome features. So go ahead, grow your list. Again, just head to my website at www.jennaoverbod.com and click on deals. Talk to us quickly about maybe some brief tips or some things that you learned in your CBT groups. I know I have a passion for those CBT groups. I was going to say, I love CBT. (laughs) So what were some things that you kind of took from that group that were really helpful? Um, For me, it was definitely doing um, the thought records and doing them religiously. So a thought record is kind of like, you know, in the moment, you know, you're kind of spiraling your thoughts are a little bit out of control. So you write down, okay, what are these thoughts? Get them all out on paper. And then you look at a list of cognitive distortions, um, which is just a way of your mind kind of tricking itself. Um, A lot of them are, you know, all or nothing thinking, um, catastrophizing, um, trying to problem solve something that you don't have any control over. So to be able to look at that list and then compare it to my own thoughts was so helpful because it's like, okay, like they would scream out at me, like, this is the one that it is. And I would think, oh yeah, like, it's not just me being crazy. It's, it's, you know, I'm having these distortions that of my thoughts. Um, So it's, it's a lot and it takes a lot of practice. CBT really, it's not a one-time thing. You've really got to um, work at it for a long time. Um, And then you work on reworking your thoughts and thinking, okay, I'm not a bad mom. You know, I'm having a bad moment. I'm having a tough time because of all these things. But deep down, I am not a bad mom. And that's one of those all or thinking, all or nothing thinking patterns is I'm all of this. I'm never good enough for this. Or I'm a bad mom all the time when we know that that is not true. But you really have to sit down and, and examine those thoughts that you're having. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's an awesome tool that we use in our therapy practices too. And mm-hmm. I don't think it's enough for people to just kind of examine those thoughts by themselves. Like there is something about doing mm-hmm. it in a structured setting and writing it down and having those yes. thought records. And for anyone listening, I'm sure if you just went onto Google and you looked up like CBT thought records, I'm sure that mm-hmm. you'd be able to find tons and tons of free downloadable principal resources. Um, yep things that will explain things like cognitive distortions, which are these like mind tricks that your mind plays on you. I have another podcast episode about all of the mind tricks and cognitive distortions mm-hmm. that are probably really common for moms. Um, one of which you already mentioned, Sierra, which is this all or nothing thinking, right? This idea mm-hmm. of like, I'm just an awful mom all the time. I have no good yeah. qualities at all. And I'll never, ever, ever get better at this. It's just this mm-hmm. black and white thinking that happens a lot for moms. Um, mm-hmm. So it's a really good takeaway. I would encourage all audience listeners, all members to go in and check out some of those thought records. There's lots of awesome things that you can just print out and see what works for you. Um, Yeah. And if you're already seeing a therapist, like bring them to that therapist, show them your thought records. Like it really helps to have somebody objective to say, you know what? You're not a bad mom all the time. These are just the thoughts that you're having. A hundred percent. And sometimes it you can think it, think and think it. And it seems so real to you in the moment. Like you are a bad Mm. mom, you are a bad mom, but there's something about putting it to paper. And like you said, even like presenting it to another person, like a therapist Mm -hmm. where you're like, wait, (laughs) I I know that's going to sound crazy. And then you can kind of be like, well, why does it sound crazy? Why, Mm -hmm. why does it, why is there this hesitancy to even write it down or to share it? Because you know that it's not all a hundred percent true. Yeah. Really good resources there. Um, Mm -hmm. so before we close with some of the closing questions, I want to 
make sure that we talk about your own advocacy work. So you've taken these really horrific experiences and turned it into something that you know brings you a lot of passion, which is helping other moms. So talk mm -hmm. to us about the advocacy work that you do and where people can find you if they want to stay connected and learn more from you. Yeah. So what happened was, is uh, during quarantine, um, I didn't even have social media uh, then. So I didn't have um, these alternative messages about motherhood that um, probably would have been really helpful. I just, you know, got really bored once while in isolation and was like, well, maybe I'll make an Instagram account, like just a personal one. So I, I started following all these um all these accounts that were talking about real mom, honest truths. And that's what I needed in the moment. You know, I was, I was in such a dark place and I just thought, you know what, like in my community, I'm in a very small town and there's not, there's not a lot of resources that are true and honest. Like I once before we shut down, I went to a, um, they call it the early year center. And I went and, you know, other moms go and bring their kids and they play together. And I just felt like I don't fit in here. I feel like this is like, everyone's happy go lucky to be a mom. And this is the greatest experience ever. And we love this. And I just wanted someone to say to me, this sucks. Sometimes it really sucks. And um, so I wanted to create my own account to kind of show other people in my community and however far it reaches um that you're not alone and that these are such common thoughts and feelings and um just to get rid of the shame and guilt around it because that's really like what perpetuates um these thoughts is like not talking about them and pushing them down and and i'm famous for isolating myself when i'm going going through a time just to be you know what like I'm really scared of sharing my story and being honest but I have to and I think that anybody who goes through an experience like this they just don't want anybody to feel the same way that they did and that's that's the that's what's behind every account every advocacy group like is just somebody else who went through it who cares for other people and doesn't want them to go through it um yeah so I'm on Instagram and Facebook at not mother goose and I just try to share awareness about uh, prenatal depression, um, anxiety. I've talked about OCD on there a little bit. Um, I'm not a medical professional. Like I, I have a psych degree. I have an education degree, but I just, I'm a mom, you know, who just wants other moms to seek help if they need it and hopefully find some sort of um, resignation with what I post. Mm -hmm. And I know Instagram and social media, like you, I used to hate it and I mm -hmm. barely ever on it, but a lot of good things have come out of COVID for me too, which is finding this way of reaching out to people. And, mm -hmm. you know, I've been able to help so many people and I'm sure you have too from Instagram. I mean, the, mm -hmm. the potential to reach people and the potential to help people on these platforms is really underestimated, I think. And you know, it's a really great experience to be able to, I mean, it, it's healing for me too. I don't know if you can relate to any of that. Yeah. By continuing to turn through this education and put this information out there, it's just so, it's just such a great reminder of like why it's so important for us to continue waking up another day and fighting and continue to put this work out there. So yeah. in all the work that we do, as much as it is helpful for other people, I feel like, like you've also kind of agreed with, there is this also like self-healing element mm -hmm. to it as well. Definitely. Um, so as we wrap up here, I'm always trying to end like on a good note because like you said, yeah. <laughs> be kind of vulnerable and feel mm -hmm. um, just really emotional. So I'm always curious, what's something that you would tell yourself back then if you could? And it could be at any point, whether it was prenatal, postpartum, what, what's something that you would tell yourself back then if you could? It's so funny because I, I've been thinking about this question for many days because I just... I was racking my brain about it and I'm just, I'm not sure. Like, I think that I would just try to have more compassion for myself and try to um, reach out way more in a very honest way to other moms and other people um, to say, Hey, I am really struggling. And like, did you feel this way? Like how, how can we help each other type of thing? Um, it's very hard to look back and think, what, what do I wish I had known? Yeah. I feel like at, in one way, there's a lot. And in one mm -hmm. way, there's not a lot. Like it, it's very, 
weird for me too. People ask me the same question sometimes and I'm like, I really don't know. I don't know. Um, I feel like there's, I I would love to have this like big enlightened moment of this is what I wish I knew, but (laughs) I'm still going through it. I'm still in recovery and I'm still just trying my very, very best. I think we all are, are. Yeah. And I, I mean, so much of it to me is like a big dark cloud. Like, Yes. I don't know that I can really objectively kind of see through it. Um, mm-hmm. I, there are times where I feel really, really healed from it. But then on like when we have a bad day, like we had so many meltdowns on Christmas and I'm like, wait, mm. I'm not as far out of the thick of it as I thought that I was. So yep. it's, it's very much like a whole lifestyle change. You have to like it's... have a new lifestyle of giving yourself mm-hmm. compassion. You have to have a whole new lifestyle of really like being vigilant of your thoughts and trying to examine them and, you know, Mm -hmm. talk yourself out of that just negative shame cycle. Um, and, and when you slip up and you're not on your A game with that, I feel like it really easily kind of creeps back in. So definitely. um, So yeah, maybe that's why we don't really know what we would tell ourselves. It (laughs) feels dark still sometimes. Um, but you've given our moms and our listeners so many awesome resources, so many good tips um, from the CBT um, worksheets to advocating for themselves. Mm-hmm. What else, if anything, do you think is really important for other moms to know? Um, that we're all, all of us are just struggling. Like, you know, I've, I've talked to very few brand new moms that feel like they've got everything under control and this is exactly what they expected it would be and you know uh, it's just it's not usually the truth (laughs) if if that is the perception of oh they are they're a perfect mom they're doing everything right they're all together you know everyone has their own difficulties everybody struggles with something different um, and you're not alone yeah so true I wish Mm -hmm. I think one thing that would have helped me is like having people who were more honest with me about their experiences. It seemed like everyone had a a really blissful motherhood experience until I Mm. started to make it known that mine was not. And then Mm. everyone else was like, Oh yeah, it is really hard. I struggled with that. Like, well, where were you before? (laughs) Exactly. You set me up to have (laughs) wild expectations and now you're hearing commiserate with me. Like, uh, I just didn't know how to feel. Mm-hmm. Um, so I feel like that's us doing our part too. Like anytime I have a new mom friend or an expecting mom, I'm always having to try to like navigate this tiptoeing of, I want to mm-hmm. tell you what's up. And I want to be very real with you about the potential because I want you to know, and I want you to feel yep. people coming to me, but I also don't want to scare the crap out of you because <laughs> I want to be able to share in your joy too. Of course. But, like no one did that for me. Um, mm-hmm. And I know it's just society. Like we talk about the good things and how awesome it is. And we kind of want to keep those other parts hidden because we don't want to be judged or negatively evaluated as our, you know, duties as a mom goes. But Mm -hmm. I feel like that really screwed me. Like it it sets moms up to fail. Like moms aren't the failures. Like society is failing moms and other moms fail other moms. by. That's a great way of putting it. by By putting out there like nothing but the good stuff. As mm-hmm. our own shame, we don't want right. to say anything but the bad. And we, we, by doing that, we preserve ourselves for the moment, but we hurt them in the long run. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, such good stuff here. Um, I always wrap up with this question and you've gone through hard things. I, like I've often said, I would not wish postpartum anxiety or postpartum depression on my worst enemy. Like it is yep. the worst feeling. It's the darkest place ever. Um, mm-hmm. So why do you think it's important to go and do hard things? Um, I think it's so that um, my, my hope and my goal in life is that my son or other subsequent children don't have to go through, like, I hope that my experiences, I can teach them something from it. And so that life can be a little bit easier for anybody else. Um, and like I just think it's just meant to um, help us learn and and move forward and then hopefully the next struggle that I have in life I'll have some tools in my belt that I can pull out and say oh yeah I know about those thought records or I know about this clinic that will help me so just gathering your resources along the way in case (laughs) not in case when stuff hits the fan again (laughs) yeah 
for sure. Um, I'm with you. I feel like, you know, I'm not, I don't like the saying like everything happens for a reason. Everything happens for mm-hmm. a reason. Cause I think sometimes shitty things just happen and it's just yep. the way that it is. But I do think that it's good to be able to find the good that can come out of those crappy things. Um, mm-hmm. And for me, like you, it's, it's been the education. It's been about the next hardship that comes along. Like how will mm-hmm. I be able to benefit from that future hardship by going through what I'm going through right now? And yeah, like I've, I've had that thought before too. God forbid my son or his partner goes through something in the future. I'm going to be mm-hmm. there to be able to help him through it. And I'm going to be able to serve other women in a way that I wasn't able to be served myself. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there is some brightness to the darkness. And when I look at it that way, and that helps me kind of move on with my Get through it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, again, thank you so much. So much good stuff here. Um, thank you. I love doing these yes. podcasts because it's like, I, but in a way I'm sad for myself. Like I'm sad that I didn't have it and I'm sad that you mm-hmm. didn't have it. Um, yes. But I'm really happy that we'll be able to give it to other moms who aren't going to need it for months, yes. months and years and years to come. So thank you Definitely. so much for your willingness to get vulnerable and relive some of those really difficult moments. Um, I wish you the best of luck and thank you again so, so much. Thanks, Jenna. You're the best. Thank you. <laughs> for more information and resources, head to my website at www.jennaoverbaugh.com. From there, you can sign up for my email newsletter so you can make sure that you are the most up-to-date about upcoming resources, podcast episodes, blogs, challenges, and more. Also, check me out on Instagram at jenna.overbaugh and tune into some other episodes here while you're at it. As always, if you have a free minute, it would mean the world to me if you could please subscribe and rate this podcast. Subscriptions and ratings help me keep the podcast going and help me spread the word to other people who need these resources and they otherwise may not get them. With that said, thank you guys so much for tuning in. I really love creating these episodes for you. And until next time, keep doing all the hard things.